All right, so here we are today, and I'd like to talk about dumb millionaires. That's the conversation topic of the day. And this is actually something that we've been discussing the last few episodes. So we had the episode about Miles Davis and what it was like for him to go and learn boxing and to actually be confronted with his inadequacies as a person. And that was a shock for Miles Davis because of how much he was used to being admired by the people in his life and respected. And then we also spoke about, well, what it means for peasants to rise, what it means to be from rags to riches, to actually be poor and then to come into big money and what responsibility goes along with that. And stemming on from those conversations, I hope you're starting to see a certain kind of idea emerge of what I'm getting at. And that brings us to this conversation, which is dumb millionaires. And this, I've got three personal stories for you where there was this, this moment where I was absolutely dumbfounded at how stupid these people were. And yet they were millionaires, right? Now, just to illustrate what it means to be a millionaire. If you have a million dollars, then you can buy a house which is worth a million dollars and have the rent come to you completely, 100% passively. It is passive income. It is solid income. And if your house is worth a million dollars, it's probably going to be anywhere between $1,000 to $1,500 a week. Even if it's on the conservative side, even if it is $800 a week, $700 a week, that is still enough to rent a place somewhere, live with quite a comfortable lifestyle, and save as a deposit for another house which means you will end up eventually in your own house. You'll end up with two houses. Now, that's not even to say anything about buying multiple houses and renting them out under mortgages with lower percentages, right? You can actually, instead of buying a million-dollar house and renting that with no mortgage, right, no debt at all, you can actually say, okay, well, I'm going to buy a house with a deposit of $100,000 and then let the rent pay itself off. And I can do that with 10 houses. Now, that's just a rough picture of how that works. That's just a rough sort of image of what's happening there. Now, if you don't like houses, you don't like real estate, you can say, okay, well, I'll put this into blue chip shares on the stock market and I'll live off the dividends. Now, a million dollars on blue chip shares, which are geared towards dividends will pay you about $1,000 to $1,500 per week for doing nothing. You don't even have to do anything and you will be getting that amount of money. 
Now that picture of a million dollars, of what you can do with a million dollars, is basically the benchmark for what I'm talking about. And I'll share these stories with you with that in mind as to what these people do with their life once they reach that point. Now, here's the first story. I was at a meditation retreat and I met this guy and we were sort of talking a little bit about you know, work and what he normally does. And he said, he said, it was very lucky of me to get this time off work. And I was like, okay, so you got 10 days off. You're lucky. You really must, you know, be committed to your job. Be really under, under some boss's thumb, right? And it turned out later, I, find it, I found out that, well, he's actually a real estate investor. And his portfolio was worth something in the vicinity of $4 million. $4 million. And when I found this out, when I put this together, I thought, this is idiocy. This is so dumb. How can someone be so dumb? You have that much money and yet that little freedom. And I sort of started talking to him and he said, well, have, have you read the book, Think and Grow Rich? And I said, yes, I've read that book and I've read all the associate books, The Richest Man in Babylon, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Secret, right? The Law of Attraction, all that stuff. Online Investing for Dummies. I've read all those books. And the conversation couldn't really go any further because of where we were and because of what circumstances turned out to be. But for him, it didn't click to him that I actually knew his game. It didn't click to him that if you suggest a book to me and I've already read it, maybe I know something more than you. Now, you could say, well, if you've read those books and you've understood them, you should be a millionaire doster. And I say, well, give me some time. <laughs> I've been focused on some other things, to be honest. But to meet this guy and to, to find out that he had this much resource, this much money, and yet he was still stuck in the rat race, was to see that this guy's really dumb on some level. Now, of course, in the world of investing and money, he's actually very intelligent. And it is that, well, the people that he's surrounded with and the people that he's working with and the culture at large enforces that and idolizes that, encourages that, right? It is because of the culture in the times that we have that that is seen as a good thing. And yet I, I, just, I was just confounded that you could have a $4 million portfolio and say it was difficult for me to get 10 days off. If you, if you have a portfolio of $4 million, I'm sorry, but your time should be your time. You should be having 
I mean, you're not working for the rest of your life, right? There's no such thing as lack of time. That is unless, of course, you feel you need to make more money and actually put yourself into a situation where you're in a kind of rat race. Now, of course, in some levels, in his mind, he's escaped the rat race, right? He would say, I no longer have the rat race. I've got this multi-million dollar portfolio. And yet, for me, all I could see in him was the rat race. Now, the other side of this particular case was that he was also into meditation, right? He also knew about awareness techniques, yoga, breathing techniques, consciousness techniques, right? Because we met at a meditation retreat. So you would think, ah, well, he should be into this higher awareness. So he should be able to help other people. Not necessarily. That's what I've actually found. The intelligence of how to put your resources to work is not synonymous with your personal consciousness. These are different levels of intelligence or different lines of intelligence, right? You remember us talking about Howard Gardner and how he has multiple lines of intelligence? Well, this was someone who had one line of intelligence that was very highly developed and many others that were not highly developed. And that's exactly what I mean by a dumb millionaire. Now, let's get to the second story. Another guy I met, actually also on a meditation retreat, was an executive. And he made big money. And we had to sort of talk for a little while before I figured this out. And I, I tried to probe him a bit more and I was sort of remembering my other friend I thought if I ever meet someone like that again I'm actually going to hold this person more accountable and it came out that you know oh, okay so you make big money you're an executive and I said oh so you're a one percenter and he says oh what's that and I said oh you're in the one percent you're in the top one percent you're elite and he says oh well I've never heard it put like that but it's true isn't it And he smiled and he felt really good about himself. And I said, how does it feel to say that? And he just said, well, it's the truth, isn't it? Right? His elitism, his intelligence was so real to him. It had puffed him up into this amazingly warm, beautiful kind of confidence. And I say beautiful in a sort of sense that it wasn't beautiful. He couldn't see for himself how actually that's very distasteful. And this guy, well, I said, what are you doing with that resource? What are you doing with this life? You know, he only he only worked 20 hours a week. He had flexible hours. It was a big paycheck. He had this really comfortable life, right? I was like, okay, so what are you doing? And he says, well, I mentor someone. And his idea was to say, well, what if I could create something that would mean that this guy that I'm mentoring had a better place to live and better resources, right? And for him, it was like he was being altruistic. In his mind, he was a good person for mentoring someone. And for me, I was like, man, in the position that you've got, you should be mentoring like a hundred (laughs) people. 
<laughs> you should have your own institution. You should have your own, you know, like, you know, own big, massive thing with different systems and different processes. And you should have the conveyor belt and curriculums. And you should have ways in which the, the tiers of mentorship work. You should have sponsorships. You'd have, you should have backing, right? Like, it's just like you're thinking so small. Now, of course, I didn't say this to this person. And, of course, this person was very nice, right? Very intelligent on one level. You could tell that he was good as an executive. He understood management. He understood the industry that he was in. He could speak clearly. And when when you came to him, right, in person, he was very warm, very clear thinking, very kind, very likable, very grounded, very very much like wow man if you if you want someone to be in the head of your company if you like if you want someone to be an executive this is the sort of person you want right it's like this is your guy and yet there was this this huge thing missing from him and i could see it i could see that it, actually he was an idiot actually he was just stupidly idiotic in his worldview because he had no idea what it meant to help other people. He had no idea how much he was leaving on the table. Now, of course, I would never say this to these people, right? (laughs) I would never talk like this. And part of me sort of wishes, well, how do I actually push back? You know, if I'm, I mean, part, part of this sort of situation is like, I, I was so shocked that I couldn't think of what to say, right? All of what I'm saying now has sort of come to me later when I've when I've really put this together, right? Because when, when you have two people who are like in these totally different worlds and they come together, there, there's only so much crossover that can happen. And I think, well, maybe if I was really strong and really clear and really articulate and could really assert myself, then I could actually push back against this guy and really get through to him. Maybe. But even with all that, right, it's not like I would talk like this. Like I'm talking on, like the way I'm talking on this camera right now, this is, this is so rude, right? This is so confronting. It's so obtuse. It's so over the top. If I actually spoke to someone in person like this, it would be, it would be like, shut up, right? How dare you? How can you say that? Like, oh, you know, okay, I see your point, but I'm going to go over somewhere else. And it is like, well, you know, if we're at a meditation retreat, then we are listening carefully to one another. We are just sort of letting ourselves express what we are. And if you're an executive with a whole bunch of money and resources that you're not sharing, well, express yourself. Maybe you'll come to it. But then also, you know, immediately there's like this thing that wants to sort of grab him and say, how are we going to get through to you? And part of me did think it through and I thought, well, okay, say, say I did say this to all this guy and he turned around and he said, okay, Doster, what are you going to do? And from that, I was like, okay, well, here's the mentorship program that I would come up with if I was in your, system, in your position. And it was like, you know, 12 different parts, conveyor belt differentiations, and it turned into this whole system, right? It would turn into this whole thing that, 
I could work and tease. And then I thought of, okay, well, here are the different things that we need for infrastructure for an institution. And these are the different things that we need for information and skill building and education. And right. So like I have it, right. I have the, like I can think big, really. This is the difference between me and this guy. I can think big. He just can't think big. He's thinking too small. But then as I thought about it some more, I realized, okay, well, there are some issues. There are some problems. There are some things that we need to work with. Hang on a second. My battery's dying. I need to change my camera battery. Okay, where was I? I wish I could afford a camera that I didn't have to do that with. (laughs) So what I was saying was I could think big enough with the ideas as to what to do with this guy's resources, right? But the point I was coming to and the important thing that I realized for myself was that thinking it through, I realized that my ideas were no more valid than anyone else's. And really, it was up to him to do all that. Like, it doesn't matter that the Institute says Dosta Institute or some other name Institute, right? I I have no care for that. I have no care to have my name on the Institute. And in fact, well, part of me thinks (laughs) I don't want to get involved in all that because that's a lot of work. (laughs) I mean, if I could get a salary, that would be great, right? But otherwise, it's just a whole lot of work. And really, when I ask myself, honestly, well, how do you know your ideas are any better than anyone else's? Why is it that your idea of mentoring and education and personal development and all the rest of it, why, why is that any better than anyone else's? And I could argue that, right? Because I know psychology, because I know consciousness techniques, because I do know economics and personal cash systems, personal cash flow, because I do know philosophy, because I do know literature, because I do know cognitive development, because I do know perception, right? Like I've got the knowledge. But that is not really any indication that my systems would work any better than anyone else's. And you could say, well, at least you would try something. At least you have the the urge to help in a big way. And even that argument doesn't entirely hold water because sometimes doing nothing is better than trying to help. (laughs) Right? Sometimes actually going off and doing all this stuff just causes a whole lot of problems. So those are the first two stories. And the third one really sort of was just too much. This was probably the the most incredible moment of just dumbfounded. Like, how dumb can a millionaire be, right? How, like, just because you're, like, I'm starting to think that if you're a millionaire, you're almost guaranteed to be dumb, (laughs) right? Is there something that attracts 
people to that position in our life. Now, of course, in, in our society, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm saying, well, this is just your perspective. This is just the sort of worldview that you've been lulled into because of your beliefs and your ideas and your personal circumstances and the people that you've meet, met, Dosta. But at least, you know, well, you really do have to wonder. Now, here's the third story, and I'll just give it to you. This guy had $10 million. $10 million. That's the equivalent of getting $10,000 a week in passive income. And he'd made his money quite suddenly on the Bitcoin explosion. Now, I've met a number of people who've made big money on the Bitcoin explosion. And, well, maybe they're all in this category of dumb millionaires. And I've also even met people that missed out on the Bitcoin <laughs> explosion. That's sort of a different story. But but this guy, I met this guy and we sort of started talking and I found this out about him. I was like, oh, well, okay, so you've got big money, but you know, you are who you are. Are you conscious sort of thing? And for whatever reason, I started talking to him about the stock market because I was like, okay, well, you're into investing. So I will talk about investing and I'll just talk about what I know. And I told him about this one stock that I was speculating on about, you know, I could go from here to here, you know, 18 cents to 24 cents. You know, wow, that's that's a pretty good investment. And then later he came up to me again and, I, and I'd sort of forgotten about him. And he said, oh, can you tell me about that stock you were suggesting? What was the name of that? And And that was the moment where I was like, like I was in shock, right? You've, you've got t- $10 million and you're coming to me, a peasant, for financial advice. What is wrong with you? Oh, my God. This is just idiocy. This is just downright idiocy. And you could say, well, this is why we're in this situation, right? This is why we have billionaires who don't help the poor, who don't understand the responsibility and significance of their position in our society. And in the case of this guy who had $10 million worth of Bitcoin, he was a a different case because he was actually overweight and unhealthy. And it was sort of like, I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't call him a dumb millionaire in the sense that he, he should have been smarter. Like he, he should have been more intelligent. It was almost like, okay, well, you know, you're obviously not going to be that smart. And you're not going to have these realizations, right? It's almost like there's a difference between someone who should know better and someone who, well, you're never going to get it. You need, you need actually compassion and understanding and you just need to be in the position that you're in, right? Because you do have millionaires and billionaires who are just really unhealthy, really unconscious, really overweight, right? Being really fat is sort of part of this thing. 
right? That's a factor that comes into this image that we're working with. And in those cases, you just think, oh, you know, I wouldn't, cha- I wouldn't trade lives with that person, right? For all that money, I wouldn't want to be in that position. And this really does get to the issue of, well, intelligence. Because I've met people who don't have big money, who have an intelligence which is absolutely extraordinary. They are astronomical. And they have a quality of life. They have incredible relationships, sensations of the body, perception, clarity of mind, insight, cultural wealth, right? They just have this this extraordinary, um, extraordinarily amazing life. And they help so many people, right? They help people on a deep level with lasting impact. They, they can literally shift the course of someone's life. And not by mentoring them for five years, by actually just <laughs> in a matter of days, right? <laughs> like to think, oh, I've been mentoring this guy for five years. Okay, well, what have you got to show for it? And to then compare that to, okay, well, I've had this group of 30 people for like five days. And the things that people would say about that group are just like, uh, you know, and the, and the person in question, this intelligent person who I'm alluding to, w- would never take credit for it, right? It, it, it's never up to them. <laughs> the, the irony, the, the backwardness of this is just, it, it's shocking, it's shocking, and I don't know what to do about it. I mean, the only the only plan I have is to say, well, how do I make myself a million dollars and then show everyone, <laughs> show everyone how it's done? <laughs> and maybe I don't need to. Maybe I need to take a different path. Maybe this is just, well, a trick of the world. And it could also just be the times that we're living, right? Because you say, who, who is successful in which time they live? Like if you lived in outlaw Western America, right? The, the days of Indians and cowboys and the gold rush. Then the successful people were the saloon owners, Right, I'm reminded of this great TV show that I used to watch. It's called Deadwood, and it's set in outlaw America. And it's all about these saloon owners. They'd they'd run the brothels, right? And they'd basically sell girls and liquor. And they were the successful people because they were able to cut throats. They were able to deal with violence. 
They were able to have the information of who could go where and do what. And in that society, in that time, you see that person as intelligent, right? Because you have to be smart to some degree in order to do that. And they're the ones with all the money. They're the ones with all the influence over the town, the power. And it's like, okay, you're successful. You're intelligent to the degree by which success and intelligence is measured by the current climate. And this is exactly the same as the capitalist society that we're in right now. Right? When the utopia comes, <laughs> which you could say, well, is it coming, Doster? But if, let's just say, if an age comes where it is normal for people to have free housing, free transport, free healthcare, and to live in luxury without having to work, then the business owners and the corporate, corporate owners of the day that we are living now will just be seen as a slightly better saloon owner. And that really is the difference. I mean, that really is the, the, the levels of intelligence that I would like to see in more people. And it's not that every millionaire is dumb, right? There are plenty of amazing people who are doing amazing things. There are millionaires who spend the majority of their time on philanthropy, right? If you're at a certain point of financial wealth, that's really what you must do. Right? Working pro bono, creating institutions and systems that are self-sustaining and give back to the community. Right, That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to do that. Offering your own services, mentoring, backing people. And that should be the majority of your time, right? Because if you've got a passive income, right? So so here would be like the, the cultural, like if you're listening to this and you say, okay, okay, I'm a millionaire. I hear what you're saying. What do I do? Like what, what should I say? What should that guy that's got $10 million, what should he actually do? Okay, take a portion of your funds and put that into passive income. And you say, okay, that is my income. I spend that on myself. That's me taken care of. Take another portion and give it away, right? Make a massive donation. Then take another portion and say, okay, this portion is going to be for growth. I'm going to put that into something that is going to expand my wealth. It's going to ensure the ongoing nature of my ability to serve and to help others. And then in the fourth and final portion, you say, Okay, I'm going to put that towards something which will give back in a non-financial way. I'm going to build a institution or brick and mortar institution of some sort. Now, in the case of the guy with 
$10 million. That's $2.5 million for each of those categories. And there's a lot of work in that, right? You have to actually, you actually have to have the ideas as to what exactly would that entail? How would you set that up? How would you ensure that it's sustainable? What sort of people would you need on board? Who would you recruit to be a part of it? Who exactly it is are you going to help? How would they hear about it, right? right? And you, you immediately sense, right? I can sense the work in that, right? If someone gave me $10 million tomorrow, it would be like I suddenly have a list of 100 things I need to do. It's just like, whoa, you know, and part of me thinks, oh, maybe I don't want to have it quite like that. And yet this, this feeling is what, this motivation is what's lacking in the millionaires and the billionaires in the world. And you could say, well, I mean, it's just, it, it comes back to it again as to what I said before, right? Like, who, who are you? Why, why are your ideas any more valid than anyone else's? And I can understand that, you know, you know, really. If you've got the idea, if you're going to do it, then, then you do it your way. But there is a difference between doing nothing to not even, to not even fathoming any of this and to actually, well, seeing it. That's, that's the difference of intelligence that I'm getting at. Now, in these stories that I've mentioned, the real estate adventure, uh, adventure, the real estate (laughs) portfolio owner, the executive and the Bitcoin multimillionaire, I do hope and there is a chance that I will meet them again. And I will just say, if that's the case, understand that what we're doing here is different to speaking in person, right? I would never speak like this in person. It would be a much more collaborative kind of conversation. And I don't know, I hope I do get to meet some of these people and work with some of these people. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds? In fact, tell me tell me what you think. Let's get something happening here. Leave a comment on this video and say... What would you say to someone who has $10 million? What would you expect of them? And sort of a related question to that would be, what would you do with $10 million? So if you have some ideas, leave me some comments and we'll see. Because you know this is just one of those, <laughs> those things in life where you just think, you know, I can't, I can't deal with this. Right? Maybe it's just the limits of my pea brain. Maybe I just can't think it through. Maybe I don't, un- I don't understand the situation. I misunderstand economics and value and business. Maybe, maybe. If that's the case, let me know. Let me know in the comments. All right, so those are a few stories. Thanks very much for tuning in. And that's all I have to say for now. We'll be back soon with more.